The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh. Welcome to the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. It's the podcast that has lost all hope because near post corners are dead. But no, it had to happen. Just like long throws last season, it was clearly a little bit off. And so, you know what? We take it on the chin. We wise up, we go again. No bitterness, no resentment. We're better than that. On the show today, Sports Interactive's Nick Madden talks us through the new match engine update. What's changed and what does it all mean? We've got Jack Lang giving us a tour of Brazil on live schools more than a score. And we've got an unexpected gem in the book club. All this and more in the Football Manager Show, sponsored by Live School. Nicholas Alexander Tiberius Madden, welcome to the show. Welcome, Ian. Thanks for having us. I think this is like the fourth time now. <laughs> you just you just welcomed me to my own show. I've never been welcomed. Uh, yeah, you're a friend of the show, which makes all of this uh, somehow worse. For those who don't know what you do all day, what's your role at Sports Interactive? So my role at Sports Interactive is that I'm the senior producer on the match team. So I lead all the engineers and the QA testers. The match engine changes. They rebalance the game, don't they? Because... When, you, when you're making the game, you obviously have you and your team, the QA people, trying to put it all together. But when it comes out, you've obviously got you know millions and millions of, of playtesters. Is that right? Yeah, so we're, we're quite a small team. Like Only six engineers worked on the, the game this year um, on the engineering side, and there's about four or five of us testing, testing the match engine. So we're very uh, a small team, but all work together towards the same goal is making sure that the, the match engine is as balanced as it can be, as realistic as it can be. And most importantly, that we're on top of the feedback that comes from the game. Because as you say, like when it goes up to millions that are playing the game, you soon get feedback of what people like, what people don't like. Obviously, all the new features that we've introduced this year and the reception of those, whilst has been largely positive, like, you know, I think something like 92% at the moment, some of the reviews, it's absolutely amazing. And so some of the fan base are hugely behind us, but we're always striving for that 8% of the people that we want to make happy. And of course, like you can't please everybody, but we definitely strive to try. Oh, absolutely. And and the game um, is in great shape. And let's be honest, it wasn't a major thing, was it? It was, if you had a big lad at near posts um, on corners, you, know, you, you had a good chance of scoring. It's it's kind of Sam Allardyce uh, technique. You find out what works. You don't judge it, whether it's good or bad. You just, you, you make it happen. Because particularly in my position with Newcastle, by thunder, you you need the goals. But but what's what's happened? I mean, we're, there, there'll be a lot of panicky people listening to this. Hell, I'm one of them. But you haven't made it impossible to score from near post corners, have you? No, not at all. I think basically we realised that the accuracy of like to certain areas, say if you were to explicitly say too near post, too far post, to the middle of the goal from a corner or delivery, we were simulating that too well at times. And it didn't work necessarily for everybody. You had to have like the right characteristics, right attributes of your players. Obviously height was a big factor as well. So we had to really improve like the interception points and not just the ball delivery itself. But yeah, um, the one thing that we see quite a lot in 
in real football, which we I don't think we were simulating as well up until this current update, is you always you get so mad at your you know the corner taker is absolutely brilliant and yet he always seems to struggle to get it past the near post and the past that first man and so that's one thing that we wanted to add and add that more realism because yeah if you're saying to your player to strike it near post all the time it shouldn't be as accurate as it is because um the trajectory of a delivery from corners will be completely different whether it's like to the near post to the middle of the goal to the far post so you know, we wanted to make sure we simulated that a lot better, um, which I'm really proud that we've managed to do. But it's definitely from listening to the community and obviously being part of the show and, and you know, he- hearing your wonders of them for the last couple of years. It certainly it sparked our interest, but also <laughs> we wanted to improve the balance in FM21. We didn't feel there was enough goals from corners. Like the simulation, that was something that we didn't get right and we wanted to improve and thus when trying to improve that when you get to release we've probably improved it too well for the human versus the ai so it's something that we wanted to you know because the ai won't be as explicit to say every ball needs to go to the near post they would try and mix it up a lot more than necessarily human would so it's just making those um tweaks and to the creativity of humans basically let's talk about other changes uh, what, what else will we see that's different the next time we load it up the main change that we've we've made over the course of the update is the way defenders um, and defensive teams keep possession of the ball versus the way that attacking teams um favour and value possession a bit more. It's been something that we've tried to improve over a number of years, really, of like have attacking teams value possession a lot more than just scoring the goals and creating the chances. Um, and one one concerted effort we've really made this year is try to slow down the game because a lot of football in the 90 minutes is quite boring. You know, a lot, a lot of times a defender would keep his foot on the ball, wait, and then probe and play backwards, recycle possession and go forward again. So we wanted to try and um, create create that this year. And, you know, especially with the pressing changes that we made, it was very much, can we get the defenders to shift the ball side to side and then try and open an avenue to go forward? And it's something that I think we, we've done too well um, in areas and the defensive teams were valuing a lot more possession. So we've had to sort of change the way some of our AI managers would react, especially if they're being high pressed against. Can they try and play over that press a little bit more as well, not just play through it? And then for our attacking teams to sort of recycle the ball even more, especially when they're, they're in the lead or in the ascendancy, can they maybe recycle to go out and um, play in another direction, switch the point of attack. I think that's been the main contributor and some of the feedback that we got from the public was very much that the defensive teams were valuing possession a bit too much. So it's about us trying to rebalance the engine around that. And I've got to say, it's it's very, from seeing it from the inside, it's very difficult for what the engineering team have had to achieve because obviously we work on quite tight, time constraints obviously we want to make sure we're getting um, people a nice early Christmas present things that um, I'd seen on social myself and uh, is that players would sometimes round the goalkeeper and then not just slot at home and they would try and play that extra pass to then square it back to someone so just trying to make players a bit more clinical in situations and um, 
if there's sort of low crosses in the box, we felt our defenders were too quick to react and block and get that block in. Whereas now the, the strikers are a lot more able to see more of the goal so that they can slot it home. So hopefully it helps improve those sort of low cutbacks, which everybody loves and enjoys. They've made me, on again on FM17, the old low cross, who's screaming at the computer, get it in low. If you're in the middle of a save, it's, it's important to remind everyone as well that this doesn't mean you have to restart. You don't have to start a new save. The game just sort of evolves uh, around you and everything's fine. But w- what would your advice be to people, I don't know, who are maybe several months into a Newcastle save and haven't really been able to quite light up the tyres yet? Is it worth sort of watching more highlights in the first games that you play to sort of see where the changes have come? And again, like Sam Allardyce, just identify where you can take advantage. Oh, absolutely. I think that increasing your highlights, especially um, when you're like making tactical changes, is really important. And the data hub is going to be really useful as well because like you can say... Use the zone map to find out where you're winning the ball. Use the pass maps to find out who's combining with who. Even just changing a duty on a roll or a making a or changing the role slightly could um, change how they link up with other players as well. And um, so it's just finding out sort of how you're trying to score goals. Very much a lot of our players and they try and they set up their tactic of how they want to play, but then some of our players set up their tactic as how do they want to score and then go backwards from there. So I guess it depends on, do you want the whole philosophy of trying to build it throughout the club and play it with your U23s or U18s, or do you want to just know how to score, how to win? I say designing the tactic around that's going to be really, really important. Just trying not to lose is enough in my case, to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, There's a few things at this show we've always been quite big on, and it's always worth reminding that, don't watch the game on key highlights because the only times you'll see your defenders are when they're screwing up. So you'll get a completely false read. So watching more of the game is always really, really important. Is there anything else that's that shifted that might make an impact on people's games? There's a few general quality of life fixes in there, like things like changes to offsides and stuff like that. Obviously, it's so hard to get that as accurate as it can be. So there's there's always different variables within that. So we have improved that, making sure that we get the order right of, say, who is potentially offside, who's blocking the site of the goalkeeper, etc. There's like so many caveats to it. Um, and one of my favourite fixes, which I think will improve uh, also those sort of defensive teams and how they play, is actually the, the way the goalkeeper distributes the ball. And we felt that sometimes a lot of the longer kicks were quite poor. And they weren't sort of reaching their target or they were very much cleared into areas that weren't sort of sensible. Giving those sort of defensive teams a a bit more of a solid base to build upon. And yeah, just the general sort of like fixes really to help some roles will move in certain situations as well. And of course, the old simulated mistake and we just want to make sure that it's as realistic as it can be in football. So we managed to catch one major gaff that of the goalkeeper was making and we've we've certainly made that as um, rare as it can be so well i'm very much looking forward to wrapping up this podcast and uh, getting on that and trying it out as the new match engine um for football manager 2022 that if you haven't installed it yet uh, you don't have to do a thing if you're playing uh, on steam you just turn it on and bish bash bosh it will be there and yes 
corners have changed. But you know what? It's all for the best, just like it was with long throw-ins last year. Nick Madden of Sports Interactive, you are still very much a friend of the show. Oh, thank you, Ian. No, I appreciate it. And yeah, thank you for having me on. And like you mentioned, is yeah, you can get the ME update straight away as soon as you download the latest update. It's safe compatible. And the only thing is, if you wanted to get the latest data, you would need to start a new game. But we've had a few data tweaks in there, but really the sort of the major one's going to come a lot later after the January transfer window. Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. No, cheers. Thank you. It's more than a score. It's live score. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the football world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. So, yeah, it's a guide to new saves, exciting new saves. And where's more exciting than Brazil, Jack Lang. Ian, hello. Welcome to the show, Jack. You're, I was going to say lapsed Football Manager, but but maybe just you, you, you've broken away now. You've, you've got uh, a young family and you're proof that you can get out of this. Dormant, I think, is the, the adjective I will use. <laughs> Dangerously dormant. And uh, every, every time you post anything related to it on Twitter, I get that slight pang of desire, but I'm, I'm tamping it down to the bottom of my soul for now. <laughs> uh, you weren't able to do that with Crusader Kings, which you did get into after it was on the show. I yeah, I did dip into that. I mean, I as a man with a young family, I don't honestly have that much time, but I did sneak a few afternoons of that in, and it remains on my desktop, just calling me. So I'll probably, probably try and get a few more sessions in over Christmas. I'll tell you what, I will try and talk the athletic into let me do a podcast on that. But that's for another day. We're going to Brazil. You are the the athletics Brazil football expert. You're one of the leaders in in your field. No one really knows Brazilian football like you, at least not with an English accent. Where are you recommending that we go? So I think as a football manager prospect, the best option I can give you is Cruzeiro, which, uh, you know, is not one of the two or three biggest teams in Brazil, but very historic. They won four national titles, they've won the Libertadores, they they created the career of the original Ronaldo, among others. Beautiful kit, beautiful badge, or these stars in the sky, beautiful stadium, the Mineirão, but a club that has fallen on hard times. They're currently languishing in the second division in Brazil, kind of financial issues bubbling away behind the scenes. Fans really not happy about what's happened to them because you know it's a it's a really historic club and they're not used to being in that position so i suppose you'd be kind of dropping in there trying to restore them to former glories probably against all odds because against those financial issues i'm i'm sure it wouldn't be easy so what have we got to work with are there any decent players still there well the only one that i mean world famous players probably not really but the one that South American spotters might recognise is Marcelo Moreno, who is Bolivia's number one striker. He's someone who's been knocking around in South America, mainly in Brazil, for well, best part of 15 years. Had a brief spell in Europe with Shakhtar Donetsk, Werder Bremen, and a very, very unsuccessful loan spell at Wigan, in fact. But take him to Brazil in the second division, and uh, I think he'd probably be the man 
that you're building your attack around, even if you know he's mid 30s now he probably won't be running all day for you it's brazil i mean kids are doing keepy uppies on the beach from the age of about two i'm guessing that there's there's a lot of young players that you can you can pick up yeah i mean cruzeiro has a pretty famous youth academy ronaldo uh, i mentioned earlier but you know plenty of players have come through there over the years and looking at the squad now obviously in in seria b in brazil you're not signing the players that Cruzeiro are used to signing. So I think you will be focusing on, you know, bright sparks who can can drag you up the divisions, maybe the odd loan signing of older players, potentially to kind of wind down their careers with one last adventure. But yeah, I think it'd probably be Marcelo Moreno and, and a gang of young upstarts that would probably be the way to go. What can you do there? Is the sky the limit? Can you bring them back to the top and make them the biggest team in South America? Well, historically, Brazil has been a fairly level playing field. There are you know, nine or ten big teams who usually compete for the title. And Cruzeiro definitely among, among that number. So you know, in terms of the size of the fan base, the stadium, it's a, really, it's a big historic team. So once you get them back to the first division, players will want to go there, I think. And once you get to the top division... The finances of Brazilian football are such that they can kind of cherry pick a lot of players from around the continent because no, even Argentinian teams, Colombian teams can't compete with them on wages. So you get past that first hurdle and yeah, I think the path to continental powerhouse probably awaits. And the most important thing is if we're really getting into character here, what do you eat and what do you drink? Well, I think you'll be eating probably pão de queijo, which is this Brazilian cheese bread they uh, kind of usually have for mm. breakfast. Very good. Cheese bread. Yes. In Belo Horizonte, where Cruzeiro are based, the famous dish, especially at the stadium, is called feijão tropeiro, which is kind of this uh, kind of mix of rice, beans, cassava flour, a bit of meat in there. Very stodgy, but very, very tasty. And you'd be washing that down with a, well, depending on the time of day, but let's assume we're playing football manager in the afternoon or the evening, with a caipirinha, Brazil's very strong, very sugary favourite cocktail. And I think those two would go very nicely together. That's magnificent. That's all I want in my mouth right now. Jack Lang, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. So Book Club this week was supposed to be the new Don Revy book, but unfortunately, the night before my daughter tested positive for COVID, I'd left the book on my desk at work and now, obviously, can't get back to it. So I was, I was trawling around. I do this a lot. I, I really love a 99p football autobiography, and sometimes they're terrible, and sometimes you find an unexpected gem. And stick with me on this. But Jason McAteer's autobiography is really, really good. It has the worst title, I think, of any football book I've ever heard of, which is Blood, Sweat and McAteer, which doesn't even work. It's a dreadful title, and I really hope it didn't put too many people off. But it's, it's an extraordinary book because it reminds you that it wasn't really that long ago in football that you could be 20 years old and never had been playing for a professional football club, never been discovered. 
And it could still happen for you that McAteer is is just training with Marine. He's not even getting into Marine's first team, and uh, somehow he gets spotted by uh, Bolton Wanderers, uh, gets a trial, gets into the team, and the guy ends up playing for Liverpool and getting 50 caps for Ireland. Um, it's extraordinary now because these days, if you haven't been spotted by the age of six, you're pretty much done. Um, why is Jason McAteer's book part of Book Club on the Football Manager Show? Well, mostly because of Bruce Rioch. Now, history doesn't do him a great service because it didn't really work out for him at Arsenal. He's kind of much derided figure um, from, from Arsenal fans, as you would expect if you, you know, came in shortly before Arsene Wenger. Um, but a Bolton my word, the job he'd done was extraordinary. They were absolutely going nowhere. Um, he gets two promotions. He finds McAteer. There's other players there as well. Gets to a cup final. And it's it's a fantastic sort of study in man management in the way that every time McAteer gets ahead of himself, Rioch is there pulling him back down, being that father figure. And a combination of that and McAteer's origin story is, is going to drag you into a football manager lower league safe to try and do a job like that. Elsewhere, there's great stuff first-hand on Roy Keane uh, in Japan. There's first-hand stuff on Julier at Liverpool. McAteer really doesn't like Julier, which is understandable. Um, it's fair to say, though, that, that uh, history probably judges Julier quite quite well. The club was transformed and it probably needed it. it it's a really, really good book, especially for 99p. Um, it all goes very dark towards the end when he starts talking about post-career depression. But, you know, he comes off as... Yeah, you know, a, a decent, a decent guy, and, and you're sort of happy for him that he's he's found some, uh, he's, he's found a sort of level of happiness and, and peace uh, uh, when he's come through all of that. If I have any complaint, and it seems churlish for 99p, I think it would be a better book if it opened up more on his time at Liverpool um, and some of his teammates and their attitudes at the time. And there's no mention of the pound coin game, for example. But look, it's 99p. Get in there. In ignore the title. Enjoy the book. Blood, Sweat and McAteer. It's well worth a read. So you know that this podcast is is brought to you by by obviously Live Score, but also by the Athletic. But have you got a subscription yet? You really should get one. It's absolutely brilliant journalism from absolutely brilliant journalists. There's so much great stuff on there, and you know, particularly the season we're having, the number of managers getting sacked. You need this in your life. Uh, when you think about how much money you're paying for it a week. It's not actually that much. Get involved right now, but don't get involved at what everyone else is paying. Get involved on a very special rate. If you go on theathletic.com forward slash fmpod, you find a very special offer, and that's just as a thank you for listening to this show. So that's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. It's time for your letters. You know how to contact us. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com or I'm on Twitter, Ian underscore games. Producer Steve, hello. Hello, how are you? And how is the wider Macintosh household? It's all good. It's very kind of you to ask. My daughter is now testing negative for COVID. She's still in isolation. But uh, it was the better way to get it. You know, the, the one where it's like a temperature and a bit fluey rather than anything more serious. So very grateful for that. And we'll be back in circulation and back in the studio, more importantly, for the next episode. So we're all good here. And we've had loads of emails as well. We have. And the first one is going to come from Rob Roberts Facey. He writes in to say, really great pod, etc. Good man. <laughs> That'll get you on the show. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that very simple motivation story. But on listening to the Data Hub episode, which was last week's episode, so just scroll down through that feed, you'll find that Elliot Stapley walking us through the Data Hub. But Rob has ended up with more questions than answers. One bit of info in particular he wants to know is, on previous incarnations of the game, it was possible to see a visual representation of where on the pitch you were scoring and conceding, which was absolutely vital for spotting weaknesses in your team. Rob is two seasons into an Oldham safe, having lost in the playoff final in year one, gutting, and flying at the top of the league this time round. But... Without this bit of info, I feel like I'm winging it slightly. Could this be because my Oldham analyst staff are not at the level to give me the info I want, or am I simply looking in the wrong place? Well, we went to uh, we went direct to Elliot, actually, because he was the best person to ask. And it is that you're simply looking in the wrong place, but more on the an- analysts in a moment. So in regards to this particular issue, if he looks at the left-hand side of panels on the Data Hub, they are clickable. And I know he's not the only person to have missed this. There's a tiny little thing in the corner that if you click it, all the data suddenly sort of floods out of that. So, And, and I, I just know that there's loads of people listening right now going, what? Since when? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's where it is. So uh, it, it, Rob has done us a, a great service. While we're talking about the analysts that you have on board, uh, it really does make a difference as to how many you've got and how good they are. Currently in my Aberdeen save, which is the result of an earlier uh, live score more than a score feature, I'm still there, finished third in the first season. The data analysis that I have available to me is, uh, I mean, it actually says with a little red circle that it's very, very limited, um, <laughs> much like much like my own performance in fairness so always check that if you want to use a data hub get good people for the data hub just kind of like in real life i hope that helps rob and what else have we got so next up is mirin perna and i apologize if i've not pronounced that correctly mirin so they say that something that's been bugging me for several fm editions now is that why is the training system set up in such a way that you need 10 staff members to properly cover all the training categories surely there's a more practical and realistic way of doing this So if you look at coaching staff, even at the top level in real life, no manager has an assistant, two goalkeeping coaches, two fitness coaches, plus four additional coaches. And he did a sort of slightly laughing, exasperated emoji as well. So Ian, you have the answer for this one, I believe. Yeah, so so I I had a read of this and and I thought, is is that the case? And I actually spent a bit of time just bounding around the internet looking at the staff rosters of the biggest clubs. And actually... Those numbers aren't too dissimilar. Um, the, the the sort of makeup and the, the, the names uh, change routinely from club to club. But generally speaking, managers do have multiple goalkeeper coaches. Um, often, if it's not multiple fitness coaches, there'll be fitness coaches and sports scientists, which, of course, you, you can do in the game. You can get a sports scientist to help out with fitness training and all sorts of specialised coaches from, uh, I think, Liverpool have like a, an elite performance coach or, or something like that. Um, so it's it's actually not too far from the truth. Obviously, when you go further down, you don't have the resources. I remember doing a story for ESPN where I was on site with Ipswich for a few days, and you know they obviously don't have ten coaches uh, across everything. So it is actually quite realistic. There are a few ways that you can improve. Obviously, the stats are quite important, but you can use your under twenty one coaches to to help out as well and lighten the load. Also, always remember your own coaching abilities. Give a lot of thought to when you set up as to what kind of manager you want to be, where you spend those attribute points, because you can make yourself a specialist and save a bit of money, or you can use people across multiple areas, particularly those who are really good at tactical coaching, because you can have them in two or three places and they provide a good level of backing. 
Perfect. Well, I hope that helps, Mirren. So next up is Mike Ray, and he says, love the pod and the articles. There we go again. <laughs> That's, if you want to be on the show, all you got to do is fluff us up. <laughs> Mike is a long-suffering Magpies fan and always manages Newcastle in FM as well. So I can already hear palpitations yeah. at the other end of the line <laughs> as this, as this uh, letter starts. That fear is real. So now that we have £200 million starting money, it almost feels like cheating. And also a bit inaccurate since we don't get to spend the money until January. So of course, I've set my save to have no additional summer transfers to see if I can even make it as far as January. In pre-season, the whole lot of the first team are on holiday from after the Euros or injured. I've finally got them back and replaced most of the staff. I've got the tactics sorted via Rate My Tactic, which we've spoken about in the past from memory, and have built up morale. I've sorted the nearly barren reserves and youth teams. I've ramped up the training and got all my set pieces sorted. So Mike has got a lot done early doors here. And this is all pre-season, of course. because He's got one more friendly and then it's Southampton in the first Premier League game of the season. After seeing your disaster with the money and the real one without, I do not have high hopes. I'll let you know when I've been sacked. Wish me luck. And that's from Mike. So Ian, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I obviously wish him luck as well. Um, we were originally going to do the Newcastle Challenge with the transfer window off to make it as realistic as possible. But I sort of asked around the office and everyone was like, no, no, we want to see where you spend the money. So mm-hmm. that's that's the reason that we've done it our way around. Not that it's massively helped, but, you know, one win under the belt. So who knows what could be done now? All I can say is good luck. There is nothing in the reserve team. So don't even bother looking at that. And good luck with if you're trying to ship players out and bring new players in because you can lose all sorts of cohesion and, and squad morale doing that as well. And it's it's funny because you would think before the game came out, I think everyone was like, Wee, Newcastle, it'll be easy. My God, it's not easy. It's <laughs> terrible. Have we got time for one more? We do as well. Just for that, though, it's a nice uh, tip of the cap to you for the Sven Botman transfer, by the way, which it turns out in real life, <laughs> Newcastle may even be looking at. So Yeah, it's, it's like they've only read the first couple of episodes, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, final letter for this episode is from Daniel Champa, and he says, Hi, Ian and producer Steve. Hello, Daniel. I'm playing the FM mobile version. Uh, my wife and I have a seven-month-old daughter, so there's no way I've got time or... I'm actually allowed to play the proper version. But hey, all are welcome here. Daniel has started a Hamburg save after the show the other week, which is Seb Stafford Bloor, of course, doing more than the score, taking us through the streets of Hamburg. One of the two football teams you, of course, can choose in that fair city alongside St. Pauli. And he's doing well, currently top, although there's a five points separating top to fifth, so it could change very quickly. My question is, although I'm doing well, my squad harmony is shocking. I'm constantly getting offers for my players, and when I either reject them or ask for silly money, the players all get the hump as they want to leave. How else can I improve squad harmony apart from winning games? Love the show. Keep up the excellent work. We're going to have to keep an eye on this now because it's just showing that you guys are just so easy to massage like that. So the offers thing, I mean, the problem is it's really realistic. If you've got a team doing very well, then people are going to notice them and and people are going to come in for your players. That's just the food chain. The squad harmony being shocking is interesting because usually wins are the best way to keep everyone happy. But it's worth 
going onto the page where you can see why they're happy or why, why they're unhappy in this case and trying to lock down what it is. Sometimes there's a misalignment with the role that they think they should have or they've been told they should have and the role that they actually have. So keep an eye out for people who've been told that they're first team members, but actually you're only using them off the bench because that will bring their morale down. Have a look at contracts as well. Obviously, if you can get them on a contract with a minimum fee release clause, then then you know, if you are going to lose them, at least you'll get some decent money. It almost sort of tacitly encourages the bids, I always think, as well. That can definitely help. And have a look at training as well. Who's enjoying training and, and who isn't? And maybe uh, maybe you're, you're working them too hard. But generally speaking, a winning ship is a happy ship. So I hope that all works out for him. And that is the letters. You want to get in touch, you can get in touch about anything, really. I'm not fussy. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com. And that's our show. Your guests were Nick Madden from Sports Interactive and Jack Lang from The Athletic. Your producer was Steve Hankey and I am the ghost of Allegra Stratton's career. The Athletic.